In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for this day, and we thank you for gathering us here that we may worship you and worship your Son. Uh, We ask that you open our hearts to the true meaning of Christmas, uh, why that cold night existed 2,000 years ago, and how it had an everlasting impact on our civilization, but more importantly, how it had a lasting impact on each one of us individually. So we ask now that uh, your word touches our heart and that we're reminded of your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Let me ask you a few questions. All right, it's Christmas. Who here had a Merry Christmas yesterday? That's good. That's good. That's good to see. Was Santa good to you? Was Santa good to you? Santa. Huh? All right, maybe it was mom, or maybe it was, maybe it was the wife. Hopefully your stocking was stuffed with everything you wanted and that you were happy. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about happiness today. Did you get anything you didn't need or wanted? Does that ever happen to you? I saw one little hand squeamishly go up. Or do you think you gave anybody anything they didn't want or needed? You know, there's, there's a thought, right? We get wrapped up in uh, um, commercialism. Let's think back now, though, to last week, all right? Who absolutely knew their Christmas would be merry? Now think about that for a minute. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. I, I have my doubts every year as I approach Christmas. I have some personal doubts. Um, but how many in here have experienced some financial, emotional, or spiritual trials this last year? All right, I think most of us could probably raise our hands to that. All right. And I don't know if any of you, you don't need to raise your hand for this one, but I don't know if any of you were at the point of just giving up. All right, there's a, few, there's, there's a few stories I'll bring out this morning about some people that I think that may have been on the verge of just giving up. And I imagine that being here in Oakland, you know, no, Oakland's unemployment rate is hovering about 20%. It's, 
it's not well above, it's way above the national average. So if we're not experiencing some of those trials, I'm sure that we know people who are here in the Oakland community or in the East Bay community for that matter. I think that all of us would agree that this is a time of year that stirs a lot of mixed emotions. Um, we want to get ready. We want to get ready for the celebration, but there's a lot of pressures placed on us. Um, there's a lot of family pressures. You know, Dave just mentioned it. Um, he didn't go and visit family. He stayed here, and he had a very enjoyable Christmas. I can really relate to that. Uh, Kathy and I are from Wisconsin, and... Uh, we just enjoy staying here with friends because a lot of our memories of Christmas with family aren't all that enjoyable, all right? And I remember getting together with friends when I was in the Army, and, you know, it, whether it was for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, but those were great celebrations, um, and there wasn't all of those family pressures that I think some of you can, can relate to. But, you know, we get a constant bombardment of advertising, and that doesn't help either. You know, those car ads are pretty nice, you know, those, especially those luxury cars. And then I see people driving around in luxury cars, and I'm going, that's nice. I'd like to be there. Or ladies, what about the diamond ads? You know, it would be nice to see one of those shining stars around your neck or on your finger, right? And um, that puts a lot of pressure on that guy, <laughs> You know, especially if he's not working. You know, that diamond isn't going to come, and I know you appreciate that and you respect it. I receive a weekly newsletter by a prison fellowship centurion. His name is Regis Nicole, and there's two L's in his name, N-I-C-O-L-L, -L, if you want to Google him. He has some real interesting commentary on Christian worldview. And he wrote something called the Swillpit Chronicles. And his, he got his inspiration from C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. And the Screwtape Letters were a series of letters that were sent by one demon to another who was in charge of, a, of an earthling, all right, of an earthling. So Regis put together this, the Swillpit Chronicles. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but there's three points that he brought out. One was, what was originally a one-day religious observance in honor of his birth is now a full season of consumerism. And we could argue that point, actually. You know, some people think that, hey, look, all of this consumerism, we're celebrating Christmas. So we've actually, as Christians, we've drawn the secular world into, into the celebration of Christmas. I'm not really convinced by all of that, and that could... We could probably have that discussion some other time. But the other thing Swill Pitt, who was a demon, said, was that the pagan practices of burning Yule logs, decorating trees, feasting, and partying began eclipsing the religious practices until the Christian significance became all but an afterthought. All right, and then finally he said shopkeepers capitalized on the spirit of the season earlier and earlier, creating the devilish combination of dissatisfaction and desire. Now, I remember when I was a child, we didn't see any Christmas decorations until after Thanksgiving. And now we start seeing decorations, Christmas decorations in the stores right after um, Halloween. 
You know, they go from <laughs> from one of the most pagan to one of the most holy holidays. It's it's kind of interesting. Um, but Luke's story kind of kicks us back into our realm, our Christian realm, um, back to that glorious day, and that's what what the Scripture talks about here today. And most of all, it reminds us that God is in control. And I hope that in the next few minutes I'm able to bring that out, how God is really in control or was in control of the events as they unfolded. Um, Two things to keep in mind, too, and I'll get to it in the second half of my sermon this morning, but try to remember or try to keep in the back of your mind the word manger and the word shepherd and how that all plays into God's great plan for our salvation. Um, A couple of other things. We witnessed the faith of two people, Mary and Joseph. They placed their faith absolutely in God and what was about to happen. Um, They were going through a very difficult period. Um, It brings us hope, uh, a message of hope for our salvation but the one thing that it does, too, is that it provides a simple reminder of how we all can receive the gift of eternal life when we make room in the inn. All right? When we make room in our inn on how we can receive eternal life. Okay, so let's go back to Luke 2, verses 1 and 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does. Luke's talking about those dreaded taxes. All right, ruling governments haven't changed. All right, we experience it in our government. Um, What was happening in those days are very similar to what's happening today. And we read, the text reads that Um, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now let's talk a little bit about what was happening with the Roman Empire and why, more than likely, God brought his son into the world at this time. The Roman Empire had been at peace for 16 years. The temple of Janus, Janus was the Roman god of war, was closed. There was no need to worship him, The Romans were at peace. They were not fighting anybody. But being at peace means there's no spoils of war. They couldn't go in and kick somebody down, take their cattle, take their gold, or take take whatever was in that country or that, that clan's treasury. So their treasury was getting a bit low. So what's every good politician do? He votes to raise taxes. All right. In this case, Augustus Caesar didn't have to vote. You know, he was the emperor, so he just had to convince his senators that this was a good thing to do. Now, let's put this kind of in perspective. Imagine the Oakland Raiders had not won a game in 16 years. Right? Fans would no longer attend the games. There'd be no revenue generated at the Coliseum. So the city of Oakland would probably close the Coliseum and raise the city tax, probably a sales tax of some kind. But what else was happening? The Roman Empire was united. They had formed a central government. 
they had brought in, introduced this idea about senators to represent the people that were in the nether regions of the empire. But one thing that was pretty significant at the time was that for the first time in human history, average citizens were able to pass freely and safely on the roads. So there was this huge, we, you know, we have the internet today, but to be able to pass safely on roads was a great way to communicate and to send messages out um, for, that, for, for that time. But what was God doing? What was God doing at that time? In Galatians 4.4, it describes the birth of Jesus occurred when the fullness of time had come. So even God is saying that the fullness of time had come, that this was an ideal time to bring his son into the world. God considered it the perfect time in history. And it was the time he appointed to bring his son into the the world. Rome may have been controlling the world, raising taxes, constructing roads, constructing aqueducts. But God was orchestrating something much more glorious, something much more glorious in our, in our spiritual life. It was a perfect time for him to spread the word. And in John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word. So the word had been with God from the beginning. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So how do we get... So how do we get this light? How, does, how is God going to bring this light to us? Now think for a moment. Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth. So how is God going to get them to Bethlehem? That's a 90-mile trip. All right? And remember, in prophecy in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are, are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It's saying that Christ has to be born in Bethlehem. But Mary's nine months, nine months pregnant, or probably in the late eighth month of her pregnancy, and she's 90 miles away. And do you think Joseph is the man to do it? He takes her there, right? But is he really the man to do it? Seriously, how many fathers here would take their betrothed wife on a strenuous three-day hike in her ninth ninth month of pregnancy? I mean, if her family didn't crucify him, more than likely his family would say, are you crazy? What are you doing here? But they had no choice, all right? It was going to take somebody much greater than Joseph to move them, and that man... God had the right man in power at the time, and that was Caesar Augustus. He decreed to all the world that it should be taxed. And so they had no other choice but to go to Bethlehem. All right? But 
it was really God's plan for our salvation that was taking another step forward. Okay, in verses 3 and 4, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Okay, we all know why they went to Bethlehem, all right? But they would not have made that trip. They would not have made that trip had Caesar Augustus not made the decree to tax everybody, to register everybody, to increase the taxes. In verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now I'm going to use a 25-cent word here. It's called juxtaposition. I couldn't think of another word except juxtaposition came to my mind. In that very short verse, we're talking about Mary is going to be registered, but she was with child. So what's Luke trying to do here? What's, what's the message? Mary was with child. Now hold that thought, all right? She was with child. But who was the child? The child was God's son. But on the other end, she's going to be registered. And it was Caesar Augustus who was playing God when he made his decree. And an interesting historical note is that when Caesar Augustus took power, he didn't have the name Augustus. He got his advisors together and he said, I don't like being called emperor and I don't like being called king. We've got to come up with something a lot more grand than that. And what they did is they came up with the word Augustus, which means of the God, of, or of the gods. So here you have Mary, who is with child, with God, and you have Augustus, who's of the gods, playing God. So you have Mary, who was probably at the lowest end of the social ladder at the time, and we all know being pregnant and unwed was probably devastating to her family and one of the reasons why her and Joseph made the trip alone or why they had no room at the inn. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. And then you have Augustus, who's at the highest end of the social spectrum. All right? And 2,000 years later, this is the real irony of the story, 2,000 years later, how many people are paying taxes to Augustus? There's no one paying taxes to Augustus. We still pay taxes to the, to the government. But how many are worshiping God? You know, how, many, how many churches were filled yesterday for Christmas? And how many churches are going to be filled today worshiping God? Let's move on. In verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Mary bears Jesus. She gives birth to Jesus. She's all alone. I'm sure Joseph helped her as he would. It's dark. She's in a very dark place right now because there was no room in the inn. Now, some scholars suggest that they were in a cave. Others, I guess more, there's more modern thought that believe that they were likely under a place 
where people slept, but definitely only where the animals were stabled. Personally, I would think that she's awfully frightened, even though Joseph is there. She's only 15 or 16 years old. I mean, wouldn't any 15 or 16-year-old be? She knows this is the Son of God. We, we recall, we're going through Luke. Um, um, Albert's taking us through Luke. And we know that she said, you know, she basically said, not your will, or not my will, Father, but your, let your will be done. So she knows this is the Son, faithfully gives him birth, and wraps him in swaddling cloths and places him in a manger. Now, a manger, as we all know, is a feeding trough. And this is actually the first of three references to the manger that Luke has in his, in his Christmas story. But it's possibly the lowest place imaginable at a time, at that time, for anyone to be. So why is he doing that? You know, why... Why doesn't God bring Jesus' birth um, in a palace or in a mansion? I mean, he is God. But a palace or mansion is not what our God is all about. You know, we can go back to the story of Exodus and how God rescued slaves, you know, where the, the pharaohs made themselves gods much like what Augustus is doing here. We can approach our God, and that's, that's, that's the point. We can approach our God. God's will was to place his son in the lowest place possible to take on his humanity. It's an environment, he's in an environment that represents the darkness that man was in at the time, and to show that if my son can live this low, No one is excluded from my kingdom. You know, we've read the historical accounts of the debauchery and the paganism that was prevalent in the Roman Empire. HBO right now, I think, it might not be on. I don't get HBO, so I couldn't tell you. But I know that they had this thing about the Roman Empire uh, last year or two years ago. But they're making a million dollars on the promiscuity, promiscuity that existed to satisfy the modern lusts of the flesh. But they're in darkness, darkness which represents cold, dark, and low places, just like mankind, but probably where our hearts were before we made room for God. But at some time in our life, our hearts had no room for God. Our hearts had no room for Jesus. There was no room at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke mentions the shepherds now. They were the lowlife of society back then, much like the homeless in today's society. They were pickpockets, they were thieves. They could not testify in courts because no one would trust anything they said. Yet God's Son was born in the fullness of time, out in the field, with the shepherds. Okay, God's message is clear. He wants relationship with all of us. 
Prince Williams is about to get married. In a year, he and his new wife will likely have a child. And then how many of us expect to witness that birth? That event's going to be untouchable. You know, it's going to be highly controlled. Not even the most earnest paparazzi will probably be able to get in there to see the baby after the baby's born. Now, compare that to the birth of our king. In the field, where the lowest of society live, do you see the message? Who's more approachable? The heir to the throne of England or the heir to the throne of God? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. No more darkness. All right, God brings his son into the world, and there's no more darkness. The angel declares it. The word glory here refers to God's evidence or the evidence of God's majestic presence. All right? The glory is the appearance of light in the midst of darkness. Mary, in the dark and cold, she brings forth his son and light shines forth. You, me, we were dark and cold before accepting Christ. Then in the fullness of our time, When we accepted Christ, his light shined forth. All right. Now the angel also says, I bring you good news of great happiness. Just like Will Smith's movie, right? Pursuit of happiness. Well, let me go back and look at that. It wasn't happiness. The text doesn't say happiness. The angel brings news of great joy. And why joy and not happiness? Well, how many of you saw happiness in all the Christmas shoppers these past three weeks or a few weeks? Let me take you back a minute. Does anybody remember the Cabbage Patch dolls? Or, you know, Tickle Me Elmo? All right. Pet Rocks? I don't know. I think Pet Rocks were actually before Cabbage Patch. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's one I didn't remember. People were so happy shopping for those gifts and even happier to receive them. And I remember an aunt who received, I think she received 10. I'm going to say conservatively I'll put it at 6, but I know she had a lot of Cabbage Patch dolls. And more about my aunt later. I was told that they were going to be collectibles. I don't know if they're collectibles or not. You just don't hear about Cabbage Patch dolls. You don't hear about Pet Rocks. You, you, you read about them, I think, in some, um, maybe some history books. I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure you can get them on eBay, right? You can get anything on eBay. But I'm sure my aunt was happy that Christmas, right? The great joy for all the people refers to an inward devotion, which is far superior to happiness. Okay, lock that in your memory for the days when life isn't real happy. All right? Just remember that God is there. God is there. He proved it by bringing his son to the world, by shining light into a dark world. So as tough as it gets, 
God is going to be there. That is the joy that you can take with you. Um, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. All right, born a Savior. Okay, so Christ was born a Savior, not a sports hero. Not a recording artist. You know, and those are people in our society who are make, just making the mega millions. All right? And definitely not born a politician. All right? He was born a savior wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Okay? No room in our schools either today. All right? No room at home. There's many homes out there that have no room for our Savior. And probably, some would even suggest, there's some Anglican churches in Africa that believe this, that there's no room for Christ in our churches. All right? We all need to be saved, don't we? We all need to be saved. You know, that aunt who received those Cabbage Patch dolls, she had ten children. She was raising ten children on her own. She needed to be saved. She didn't need those Cabbage Patch dolls. Or your best friend who broke a stranger's nose at Toys R Us getting that last Tickle Me Elmo doll. All right? He probably needed to be saved too. We all need to be saved. For me, I need to be saved. I need to be saved every year this time. All right? And I know I have, you know, I I know I'm saved, so I don't have to be re-saved every year. But I have to be reminded And I remind people at work. But I go through financial planning this year and contract renewals. And then inevitably, because of the pressure of the season, I had an incident this past week where workers were fighting with fellow workers because some strange attitude overtakes them during this most happiest time of the year. All right? And I wish I could sing because I'd sing that little tune, most happiest time of the year. But look at the Christ child. All right, just just look at, imagine him. He's in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. And this is the second time Luke mentions that manger. Yes, Christ is born as low on the social ladder as possible to provide hope for all of eternal life. Our Lord wrapped in swaddling cloths show how vulnerable and how but how approachable he has made himself to be to us. At this moment, he draws toward even the most despised shepherds. Later in life, he even goes as far as to dine with tax collectors and prostitutes. We have to remember, in the story, the the Christmas story is about that he came here to set us free, to die for the sin we bear, and to pay the price so that we can have eternal life. That is the meaning for today and every day. And I think that's what Luke wants us to remember. So as I conclude this morning, we finish with the last two verses. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
All right, so no matter how many of you are facing trials or getting past the Christmas shopping anxiety, give glory to God, who gives peace with whom he is well pleased. The joy. All right. I know Kathy is. Now, who's Kathy? Kathy is a friend of my wife's, my wife, Kathy. Her husband passed to be with the Lord earlier this month. All right. I don't know if a co-worker is, though. She continues to cope with the tragic and life-altering accident of a younger sister who will probably live in a convalescent home for the next 10 years trying to rehabilitate from the accident she was in. But that person's not saved, so I don't know. All right? I know Alex and Sergio are. All right? They lost Alex's mother a few weeks ago. But we know Alex, and we know Sergio, and we know how they love the Lord, and we know that they find joy in the Lord despite all the hardships. So are you giving glory to God through your loss, through some loss that you experienced this past year? Glory to God in the highest. The Christmas story reminds each of us of joy. This is God's plan. This is God's will for our life, each of us individually. Many of us have encountered some personal tragedy this year, but we have a Savior who will ensure there is a better life beyond all this tragedy. God is calling. He gives peace to those whom he is well pleased, to those who welcome his only son. God has done everything he can do. We witnessed in today's scripture how he actually manipulated Augustus of the gods. He didn't need radios, the internet, or a public relations director. He used shepherds of all things. Of all people, those nasty-smelling, foul-odored lowlifes to spread the word about his son. We sit as believers, all right? We sit as believers, not through the mind, but from the heart, drawing us to another direction, from the shopping hassles, the pagan practices, or the burning of logs, all right? We, we realize, and that's why we're here this morning. We know that our heart draws us to God. Leave Elmo and, ca- the, and, and the cabbage patch on the shelf. All right. Let others seek pleasure and happiness where there is no room at the inn for the living God and leave here today celebrating the birth of our Savior because you found him room at the inn. All right. Remember, you found him room at the inn, and that's why you're here this morning. All right, please join me in prayer. Father, I pray you have taken those here this morning to take hold of their lives and have made room in their heart for your spirit as they have made room for you in their inn. That they become uncaring of the dark and the cold, the filth that surrounds them and makes room at the inn for your love, your safety, and your holy friendship. If we make room for Christ, let us serve him. And as Spurgeon wrote, Tell me who they are that sit often under the banner of his love and drink deep draughts from the cup of communion, and I am sure they will be those who give most 
who serve best and who abide closest to the bleeding heart of their dear Lord. Amen.